All right, you are locked on Falcons. I'm your host, Aaron Freeman. And today I am talking about the return of Falcons cornerback Darquez Denard from injured reserve, as well as answering your listener question. You are locked on Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So today's Locked On Falcons podcast is presented by Pepsi, made for football watching. This football season will be different, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day, no matter how you watch the season. Pepsi is the refreshment you need to power through game day and become a member of the League of Football Watchers. These passionate fans are the real generational talent that Pepsi fuels, because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game. It's made for those who watch it. Pepsi, made for football watching. Go to madeforfootballwatching.com to check out the latest football watching content from Pepsi. So guys, you know me. I'm Aaron Freeman. been covering the Falcons for many years, formerly at falcfans.com, RIP, currently still going strong on Twitter at falcfans, and of course, hosting this preeminent Locked On Falcons podcast, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, right here on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I want to give a shout out to anybody who's listening to today's Locked On Falcons podcast while they are standing in line waiting to vote. Uh, congratulations for exercising your constitutional right to vote in this 2020 election on election day. Uh, many of you also listening to the podcast that in your states that allow for early voting, including my own in North Carolina, as well as I'm sure many of you guys in Georgia, congratulations. If you already voted early, uh, hopefully your votes get counted. Uh, <laughs> uh, but we, you know, we're not going to make this into a political episode. We're going to make this into as entertaining a podcast as you can get, uh, standing in line waiting to, uh, you know, vote. However method that your state county district allows you to vote. Um, or if you're just chilling at home, you're like, Hey man, whatever. Um, so today's episode, we will kick things off talking about sort of Darquez Denard's return from injured reserve and what that could mean for the Falcons cornerback rotation. Um, and sort of what potential changing roles we could see for guys like Isaiah Oliver, in addition to Kendall Sheffield due to Denard's return. Then we'll get into the listener question portion Q and a episode portion of the episode in which uh, we got a couple of listener questions about Keanu Neal and whether or not he is going to return to Atlanta or get a lucrative deal elsewhere and sort of his future. And that will allow us to touch a little bit upon sort of at least my hail Mary thoughts on what the Falcons may or may not do come draft and free agency to address their safety concerns as well as maybe some other positions. And then we'll probably spend the bulk of today's episode uh, beyond a dark quest in our conversation talking about Deidre Sonat and a listener wants to know what's going on with Deidre Sonat and whether he's in a doghouse, whether he's a gamer, um, whether or not he could potentially have a role on this team beyond this coaching staff, or if he was given a more prominent role than say a Tyler Davidson, would he be effective in that role? And so that's what we'll get into, but we'll kick things off today with talking about Darquez Denard's return from injured reserve. The Falcons designated cornerback Darquez Denard for return from injured reserve on Monday, stemming from a hamstring injury he suffered late in their week three loss to the Chicago Bears. This means Denard is eligible to return to practice later this week with the idea that the Falcons could return him to their active roster ahead of their week nine matchup versus the Denver Broncos. New rules allow NFL teams to return an unlimited number of players from their injured reserve after three weeks, thanks to changes implemented by the NFL due to the COVID-19 pandemic. The Falcons and other teams 
can designate players to return from injured reserve and will have 21 days to reactivate said player to their roster. Meaning Denard is not necessarily guaranteed to play this week against Denver, but it does seem highly probable that at the latest he'll be ready to play when the Falcons face their week 11 opponent, which is division rival New Orleans Saints after their week 10 bye. Denard played his best football in his last game with the Falcons against the Bears in week three. That game, he earned the team's highest grade on either side of the ball, according to Pro Football Focus, after picking off a pass and allowing just four receptions on 11 targets. That performance versus the Bears came on the heels of two relatively tougher games in the first two weeks versus the Seahawks and Cowboys, where Pro Football Focus indicated that Denard had given up a combined 16 receptions on 20 targets. Notably, the Bears game featured Denard spending the bulk of his snaps playing out outside corner after the first two weeks being primarily the Falcon slot corner, thus indicating that the shorter Denard might be better suited to playing outside. And he may get that opportunity again in the coming weeks, since neither Kendall Sheffield nor Isaiah Oliver have really solidified that outside right cornerback spot opposite rookie AJ Terrell in the recent weeks. In fact, Oliver has spent the bulk of the past four games since Denard went on IR playing in the slot and has been serviceable in that role. According to pro football focus of the cornerbacks that have played at least 50 snaps in the slot since week four, Oliver ranks 18th out of 32 in their yards allowed per snap metric, which is in fact considerably better than Denard's own production using that metric over the first two games of this 2020 season. Both of Oliver's two touchdowns that pro football focus has credited him with allowing over the past five Falcons games came when he played outside. Meanwhile, since week four, Sheffield has been credited with giving up 428 yards, which is the most of any cornerback in that span. And using their yards allowed per snap metric, Sheffield ranks 105 out of 106 corners that have at least played 50 snaps in that same span of games. So it seems likely the Falcons will ask Denard to come back and play outside. The question is whether or not the team will continue to have Oliver play inside where he's been more effective recently or give Sheffield an extended look there. The slot was where Sheffield spent the bulk of his 2019 rookie season playing and was relatively productive there. Sheffield ranked 15th out of 39 qualifying corners that played at least 150 snaps in the slot in pro football focuses yards per snap metric in 2019. Of course, Denard ranked first in that metric in 2019, which is why the Falcons hoped that he would solidify the spot this season. It may simply involve the Falcons showing flexibility week to week. Once Denard is back in the lineup to try and get the best matchups. Sheffield speed, Oliver's size, and Denard's experience might work better in certain matchups. For example, against the Broncos in week nine, Denver's primary slot receiver is rookie wide receiver Jerry Judy, who's known for his quickness and route running prowess. As the Broncos' primary pass catcher, the Falcons might be better served putting Denard in the slot against Judy, matching the speedy Sheffield up against the explosive KJ Hamler on the outside, and have AJ Terrell go up against the Broncos' de facto number two receiver in Tim Patrick, who has replaced Cortland Sutton in that role, should Patrick be healthy enough to play after missing the Broncos' week eight game. And then deploy a different set of matchups in week 11 versus the saints when they have to deal with the potential return of all pro wide receiver, Michael Thomas. It'll definitely be interesting to see how the Falcons proceed at the cornerback position. But in the meantime, they do know that Denard is soon likely 
only going to further boost a defense that, at least in recent weeks, has been ascending closer to competent levels. So, guys, there's your Locked on Falcons lead story. We're going to get a little bit into the possibility of Tack McKinley getting traded and his very public indication on Monday that he is not getting traded. So we'll touch upon that coming up on today's lockdown Falcons. In addition to talking about Keanu Neal's future here in Atlanta and or elsewhere in the league, but you know, Keanu Neal's gone through some injury issues and, and that shows that he has broken through some walls and we have to break through walls every day, whether they be mental or physical and helping us do that is built. Go the best workout gel on the market brought to you by the same folks at built bar that bring you the best tasting protein bar on the market. Built Go combines energy gel with collagen protein, making it fast absorbing and easy on the stomach. It's loaded with good stuff like beta alanine, B3, honey, and a kick of caffeine. And collagen also promotes joint, soft tissue, hair, and skin health. It literally makes you look better. And like Built Bars, it tastes better too as it comes in three delicious flavors, peanut butter, honey, chocolate, coconut, and chocolate mint. It's a healthier replacement for your energy drink or coffee because it's going to give you that kick you need, but it's lasting and natural and it won't give you the crash feeling that you normally get with those so look good feel good break through your walls by visiting bilko.com use the promo code locked to get 20 percent off your next order use that promo code locked for 20 percent off at bilko.com let's go so i think we're going to get more into the tax stuff on tomorrow's episode um but he recently rejoined twitter recently i didn't realize that um and then tweeted out monday evening that the falcons will not be trading him and have rejected multiple trade offers and it's likely that we can take tack at his word since nfl facilities are closed today as you guys are listening to this on tuesday uh due to election day so it's unlikely that we're going to see very many trades on at the deadline between now and 4 p.m. eastern time when the deadline uh you know ends um so you know, that's part of the reason why I think you saw so many trades over the last couple of weeks, which is not normal. Usually they happen over the weekend leading into the days before the trade deadline. You know, we know that there aren't that many trades in the NFL, but uh, generally speaking, it's like the five or six days prior to the trade deadline where you see the most trades. And this year it's been earlier in that because I think teams knew that the deadline is essentially a day earlier this year due to NFL rules, closing uh, facilities on Tuesday. So, um, you know, we'll officially talk about that on tomorrow's episode um, and get more into the tax stuff. Um, but I think ultimately the reason why the Falcons did not trade him is the same reasons why they didn't trade Devontae Freeman last year, which is they feel that the value that tack brings on the field is worth more than the potential late round pick that they may be acquiring in next year's uh, draft to get him, which presumably based off of how the market has shown itself to be for pass rushers so far this year is probably a sixth or seventh round pick. And so I think the Falcons are perfectly justified in thinking that because I do think Tack McKinley's value um, in terms of what he has the potential to do on the field far exceeds what you would expect to get from a six round pick. But again, that also requires you to, you know, believe in Tack McKinley's value, which I know a lot of people don't. And it also requires you to believe in, you know, there's value in trying to win football games over the next eight, nine weeks. Um, which I know a lot of people don't. So, uh, well, again, we'll talk upon that more uh, in depth on tomorrow's episode once we sort of can officially declare whether or not Tack McKinley got traded and and why uh, they didn't do it or why they did do it. If you know something 
uh, unexpected happens in the next few hours, but we'll get into that and uh, we'll continue today's podcast by getting into uh, the Q and a portion. And our first question comes from Steven bounds on Twitter. He asks, should we expect Keanu Neal to get a significant contract from the Falcons or someone else this off season? If he continues or improves on the way he's been playing lately, um, I would think it would be hard for Keanu Neal to get a significant contract, particularly if we're talking about significant guaranteed money, given his injury concerns, regardless of how he finishes the season. But obviously the better he plays from here on out, the, the, the higher those chances go up, you know, at this point in time, I would expect him, even if he does continue to play at the same level that he's played at the last two weeks for the remaining eight games of the season, I would still expect the most likely outcome for him when he hits free agency is that someone, whether it's the Falcons or somebody else will give him a one year sort of prove it deal. And it may be similar to what we saw Von Miller sign with the Bengals this past off season, where he signed a three year, $18 million deal. But when you really break it down, it's really a one year, $7 million contract that the Bengals can get out of. So if Keanu Neal does sign a multi-year contract, it's going to be one that I think is going to be one that a team can get out pretty easily after one season. And Bell's contract only really included $4 million in guaranteed money, which is very low when you consider that a lot of other safeties that were signing were getting like 12, 13, 15, $20 million in guaranteed money. And, and a Keanu Neal without a, without the injury concerns, I think probably would have been in line to get something closer to that in terms of 20, possibly even 30. I mean, you look at the deal that Landon Collins got who got over $40 million in guaranteed money. You look at some of the deals that like Buda Baker and all those guys, Eddie Jackson got over $30 million in guaranteed money. So, you know, had Keanu Neal been able to not avoid injuries the last couple of years, I think, you know, he's looking at a significant reduction in terms of the guaranteed money that he would be getting. Um, My guess is that a new regime is probably going to move on from Keanu Neal regardless of what happens the rest of the season. But again, as I said, the better he plays over the next eight games, the higher the probability that the new regime will look on him and say, Hey, you know, this guy's still a solid player. We just got to sort of financially incentivize or, or protect ourselves financially from, you know, committing to a guy that may get injured again. I will expect, and again, it's very early in the process and there's so many unknown variables at this point in time, uh, given you know, we're in November and I'm, sp- I'm about to speculate on things that could happen in March and April. And so much of this depends on how the Falcons finish, where they're drafting, who they hire as their general manager and coach, who those people hire to bring in new schemes, how they are, you know, handle their salary cap and whatnot. So, so many variables that are unknown at this time, but you know, it won't stop people from speculating and won't stop me from speculating on today's episode. But my guess is that I think the Falcons will probably prioritize signing a free, a free agent safety early in free agency. There's a decent chance that if you're looking, if you're guessing on what or betting on what the Falcons, what's the likeliest position that the Falcons could target on those opening, you know, 72 hours of free agency when teams are throwing around big money, I would, think that, you know, I think betting on the safety position as being their primary target would make a lot of sense in that regard. I think when you look ahead towards the draft, I think there's a decent chance that the Falcons could take a safety relatively early in the draft, probably not in round one, but um, I think rounds two, three, and four are certainly up for grabs. You know, if I was guesstimating 
on sort of where what positions the Falcons would likely pick in those early rounds in those first four rounds of quote unquote premium picks where you're looking for starting caliber players I would say in no particular order the positions that are likeliest they get picked safety's in there but I think quarterback uh running back cornerback a linebacker and defensive end are the likeliest positions I would be reasonably confident as reasonably confident as you can be in November saying that quarterback and running back are probably two out of those first four picks. I think, you know, where they go at linebacker, safety, defensive end, cornerback, and maybe even defensive tackle, you could also throw in there. I think will depend on how proactive they are filling those positions in free agency. Linebacker specifically is more of a possibility, I think, at the top of round one, particularly targeting someone like Penn State's Micah Parsons, rather than feeling like that's a big need. I think when I was watching linebackers this summer, uh, before the season started, I thought there was a huge drop off from Parsons to the next best linebacker. And none of those other guys I really thought were, uh, at least based off of the preseason highly guys that were highly ranked. I didn't really see any of those guys as first round talent. And so like, if you assume like say Parsons goes off the board in the first seven picks, which I think it's a reasonable assumption at this point in time. And then the next best linebacker doesn't go off the board to like pick 26 or so. I don't think the Falcons will go and then use a high pick in rounds two or three or whatever on a linebacker, because I don't think at that point in time, that type of player, assuming that, those players are on par with the guys that I was assessing this summer are going to be significant upgrades over what Ola Kuhn and Deion Jones are going to provincially provide for you next year. And then at that point you would likely be targeting, you know, depth at the linebacker position in round four or later some, at some point on day three. So just, um, one thought on sort of where the direction the Falcons are headed, but you know, I've kind of made my peace with Keanu Neal leaving. I've made that piece many months ago. Um, You know, I do hope he gets another shot here in Atlanta, but I certainly will understand it if the new regime decides to move on and and move in another direction. And and I think they're more than justified in thinking that uh, moving forward and and wanting to start fresh and and give this defense, um, you know, a, a complete makeover, which I, I think, is where we're headed um, over the next two years. Like it's not going to be something that you're going to see all happen in one off season, but it is one of those things where I do think over the next two years, that's going to be a big emphasis on um, the Falcons off season moves, which is completely remaking this defense to the point that, you know, by the time we reach 2023, it would not shock me if not a single player that's currently on the Falcons is still on this team on the defensive side of the ball. It wouldn't shock me at all. And that includes guys like Grady Jarrett as well. So, um, you know, speaking of Grady Jarrett, we'll talk about uh, one of those young defensive tackles that may or may not be gone from the Falcons over the next two years. And and Deidre Sonat um, coming up on today's podcast to wrap up today's Lockdown Falcons podcast. But, you know, just talked about some college prospects and I should plug the college side of the Lockdown Podcast Network where you can find a daily podcast devoted to your favorite college team. Um, And I know a lot of you guys are in SEC country and most of the SEC teams do have a daily podcast, including Georgia, the Lockdown Bulldogs podcast hosted by Clinton Daniel. And you can subscribe to it and find it on your favorite podcast platform, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever you're listening to me right now. So our last question of the day comes from Jerron J. He asks, Hey Aaron, I saw your comments on Twitter about Deidre Sonat's crazy impressive four snaps this past week. And I have some purely speculative questions for you. Is it possible that he's just a gamer, a player that does enough to get their assignments at practice while looking bad to average at best, but then shows up in the game. Also, 
could he being could him being a meth type of practice player be the reason why he's been in the proverbial doghouse his entire career lastly do you believe Deidre is one of those players who shows enough potential to just stick around but not enough to get consistent playing time or do you think he could be effective getting a Tyler Davidson amount of snaps so uh, first off, I don't think the reason why Deidre not doesn't play is has anything to do with a quote unquote lack of practice habits or being in a doghouse. I think the reason why he doesn't play is because the Falcons only really need one, one technique nose tackle to play in their base defense, something the Falcons are only going to deploy on 25 to 35% of their snaps, which is on average only 15 to 22 plays a game. And you don't really need to split that workload among two players. And the Falcons feel that Sanat isn't really a good enough pass rusher to steal steps from other guys in their defensive tackle rotation. Uh, you know, in addition to, you know, the, the one tech that can handle those base downs in their eyes is Tyler Davidson. And I think the Falcons believe that Tyler Davidson is a better fit for the style of defense that they want to play, which mixes in a lot more of the three, four, five, two hybrid fronts. Uh, and they want that nose tackle to be more of the hold the point of attack and two gap type of guy. And I don't know if they think Sanat is really equipped to do that as well as Davidson is. Um, Davidson is arguably better in that regard uh, because of greater size and length. He's more of a hold the point of attack nose while, Sanat is more of a disruptive penetrating nose um, and I think yeah you can certainly make a case that Sanat could be better or more effective than Davison um, if he got a similar amount of workload um, and you know I don't really disagree with people that think that I just think in my eyes it, given what the Falcons seeming proclivities are with their defensive scheme it's not a surprise to me and it's perfectly understandable why the Falcons prefer Davison. And, you know, contrary to the pro football focus grades that would indicate otherwise, I think Davison has been fine this year as well. So in general, I tend to agree with the sentiment that Sinat deserves more playing time, you know, and I also tend to agree with the, the notion that the Falcons probably shouldn't have paid Davison this past off season. And the better option for them, the better alternative for them in regard to that position, that nose position would have been having Sanat compete with another cheap veteran um, rather than giving Davison the raise. And I think that would have been a preferable choice. But again, unlike a large percentage of the fan base, I don't think there's any great mystery why Sanat hasn't been giving those opportunities uh, that guys like Davison has gotten, you know, and I feel like, some of the stuff on Twitter that you're referring to, Jerron, like to me, I've seen multiple people now sort of look at one snap of Deidre Sanat of, of beating a block and then missing a tackle and saying like, oh, this is proof that Sanat is um, deserves more playing time and or saying like, oh, Sanat is clearly good. Um, and the fact that he's not getting the playing time means there's something going on behind the scenes. And I just don't think that's true at all. I just think. The, the as I have already explained, the Falcons just prefer Davidson style to Sanat style, which is fine. Um, you know, and I, I think some of this to a certain extent is driven by sort of the, the post draft inflation of, of Deidre Sanat's ability. As you guys recall, there was a lot of people, uh, after that 2018 draft that were comparing Deidre Sanat to Grady Jarrett, um, which I didn't really agree with my comp for him and my scouting report of him was Vance Walker. I just didn't really see the pass rush potential in Deidre Sanat. Um, and I was hopeful that it would develop because, you know, back in 2018, we were still under the impression that this coaching staff was good at developing pass rushers. We of course know better than that now. And, you know, I thought 
when Vance Walker was here in Atlanta from 2009 to 2012, I, th- I thought he deserved more playing time than he got over guys like Corey Peters and, and Perret Jerry. Um, and he was ultimately just a sixth, seventh guy in, in that era's D line rotation for the most part. And then you look at the guys that have been the sixth, seventh or five through seven guys in the D line rotation over the past two years, uh, where Sonat has been sort of overshadowed. And in 2019, that were guys like Alan Bailey, Adrian Claiborne, Jack Crawford, 2020, it's been Alan Bailey, John Kaminsky and Charles Harris. And the reason why those guys get snaps over Sonat is because they have much greater pass rush potential. And I think that's really what it boils down to. Um, you know, you just really only can, afford to have one spot in your eight man uh, D line rotation available to a two down player. Um, and I just think that's ultimately what it boils down to that. I don't think Sonat really brings enough juice as a pass rusher. And I thought we kind of knew this in that after that 2018 draft. And I think part of it is owed to the fact that people believe, you know, given that he was a third round pick, I think people kind of thought, more of him than they probably should have. And I get that because I did a similar thing a few years earlier than that in 2014 with Desmond Southward. Um, you know, I wound up putting like a fourth round grade on Desmond Southward in the, in my post draft 2014 draft grades, um, because I wanted to sort of believe that given his, you know, tremendous athleticism and given the fact that the Falcons pulled the trigger on him in round three and free safety was arguably one of their biggest needs heading into that draft that, you know, I wanted to believe that Southward would fill those shoes. And I bumped up his grade and rather than giving him the fifth, sixth round grade that he probably more deserved and probably more of a sixth, seventh round grade that he probably deserved. I bumped up his grade to a fourth round pick. And I think you, you similarly in 2018, arguably the Falcons biggest need was the D tackle position. And that's why a lot of us thought that they would go D tackle in round one, given that I think at that time, Jack Crawford and Grady Jarrett going into the draft were the only D tackles on their roster. And the Falcons, you know, went best player available in the first two rounds, getting Calvin Ridley and Isaiah Oliver. And I think they arguably kind of reached on Deidre Sonat, uh, given that the talent pool at the D tackle position started to dry up late in round two and early in round three before the Falcons were able to pick Deidre Sonat, uh, at the end of round three. And so I think that led to some people overestimating Deidre Sonat's potential because he was filling this massive hole that the Falcons had and they wanted him to be an every down football player. And they wanted to believe that he had the potential to be an every down football player. And I think that's been a contributing factor to why people have sort of overhyped Sonat in the, in recent years and act like sort of his being inactive each and every week is some huge miscarriage of justice. Um, and I think similar to Vance Walker, it wouldn't completely shock me at all if Sanat goes elsewhere to another team, similar to what Vance Walker did in Oakland and Denver and um, Kansas city and be a much more effective player because he'll get more of those opportunities that you're referring to, you know, and I don't think I would necessarily chalk that up as, Hey, the Falcons quote unquote failed to develop DJ Sanat. I think it's just more that their desires for what they were looking at at the position evolved and, Post 2018, they were looking for um, more of a two gapping nose tackle. And then pretty much all their other investments along the D line were more looking for guys that could bring a little bit more juice as a pass rusher. And, you know, I think Deidre Sinat didn't really fill those those voids that they were looking for. And he kind of got left by the wayside, you know, and you didn't ask this question directly, but it seemed like you were kind of hinting at it, which is like. The idea that, you know, a new regime could come in and, and give Sonata a bigger opportunity. 
I would be skeptical of that. I think the, probably the best case scenario for him is that the Falcons bring in a coaching staff that brings in a style of defense that's very similar to the sort of Jim Schwartz attacking style of defense, which is sort of asking the D lineman to be disruptive and play the run on the way to the quarterback. Um, but even still, I think even if the Falcons did bring in that type of scheme, there's a high probability that they will try to target the D tackle position as a position of upgrading and get another player in addition to Grady Jarrett in addition to Marlon Davidson to compete for the, with those guys there. Um, I think really in Sanat's case, the best case scenario for him would be if that addition at the D tackle position winds up getting hurt or falling flat on his face. And then the Falcons then roll with a, you know, this DJ Sanat guy really came through strong for us in training camp and surprised us a little bit. We kind of, as a new regime, we're kind of going into this thing looking to move on and he impressed us because you know he gets a fresh start with us and then given that opportunity because of the other player at the position that the team added this offseason falls flat on her face or gets hurt given that opportunity that DJ's not gets in in light of that he takes advantage of that opportunity but I don't think that's a likely outcome in my eyes I think again purely speculative on this part uh this far away from the time but I would suspect that in most likely scenario is that whatever scheme that the Falcons bring in to revamp their defense, they're going to look more for a wide body type to put beside Grady Jarrett. You're going to look more for that Indomitian Sioux type of player that can, you know, be more of that physical, you know, more in the Tyler Davidson style, which is more that strong power uh, guy on the, at the point of attack, but maybe be a lot more of a three down uh, option than Davidson at this point, who's, Again, purely a two down guy. Um, so I think that's really what it boils down to. So I, you know, I think Sanat deserves more playing time, but I don't feel like this is some huge, you know, tragedy or mystery as why he doesn't get playing time. I just think it's, it's a situation where the Falcons have kind of moved on. They, they kind of reached on a player, um, that wasn't necessarily going to fill the shoes that they kind of eventually needed have filled at that position. And I don't feel like there's some great, you know, tragedy or anything like that, that has led to that. It's just circumstance and bad luck. And I, this is something that we've talked about a couple of times on the podcast with sort of players. It, it come, boils down to circumstance and luck uh, for why some players succeed and why some players don't. And a lot of players, a lot of that stuff is sort of variables and factors that are not necessarily in their control, determine their success and failure in the NFL. Um, and that's just the way it is. Uh, so I hope that answers your questions, Jaron. I hope, uh, uh, Steven, I also answered your question and if you guys have any future questions that you want to ask. We'll get into, um, probably tack in the trade stuff tomorrow. I also have some thoughts on sort of things, you know, some stats that I've looked at in recent weeks in recent days, really, uh, to sort of summarize what the Falcons have been on either side of the ball. Um, in the first half of the season and the things that they can potentially build upon in the second half of the season. We'll get into some of that stuff on tomorrow, as well as any other topics that come up over the next 24 hours. Um, and, uh, you know, depending on uh, Tuesday's uh, results, I know some of you and maybe even me uh, may not be necessarily thrilled uh, on Wednesday. So I, we'll do the best to, to cheer up uh, at least the uh, 50% of the country that is not thrilled with uh, Tuesday's results. But, you know, knowing America, we're not going to have results come Wednesday. So who knows at this point in time, but uh, um, we'll see what happens guys. If you want to send in your future questions, of course you can send them in via Twitter to locked on Falcons via Facebook to locked on Falcons, or you can send an email to locked on Falcons at mail.com. Appreciate you guys for tuning in. Um, I hope you're voting 
you know, and if you're listening to this podcast, you're like, Oh no, I forgot to vote. Like, what are you doing, man? Come on, man. You can do better than that. So get out there and vote until then.